With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Folks, every once in a while, you catch a big fish, and today we have a treat for you. Joining us is the great Rob Doster from NBC Sports. He's lead writer, managing editor, and overall head of NBC Sports College Basketball Coverage. He has a fantastic podcast, College Basketball Talk, available all over the place, iTunes, the whole bit. You can find him on collegebasketballtalk.nbcsports.com, and he's a superb follow, of course, on Twitter at Rob Doster. Rob, we are honored to have you on the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast to preview the season. Thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, but I, I just, like I was telling you, man, I think you need to set your standards for greatness a little bit higher than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Rob, I'll make you a deal. You're on the podcast now, and I promise I will call you for your birthday, since I guess that, that's, good, that's good. what we have to yeah. do, you know? So I don't. I don't have to. Uh, I don't have to out you publicly. I'm, I'm glad. I don't have to uh, take anything to the Twitter sphere. So it's a good thing. Exactly. We're, listen, I know where all the bodies are buried. <laughs> of course you do. And we're in. And we're in New Jersey. So there's a lot of bodies buried here. So we better be careful. That's probably true. Uh, listen, we're going to get into hoops, man. I don't want to talk about you know shoplifting in China or or about you know paying a, a couple bucks here or there from someone and they didn't call you for their birthday, so they out you. So let's just dive into college hoops. You you talked on your college basketball podcast, like I said, one of the best around, about sharing your first memory when you fell in love with college basketball. Uh, mine was 1985 when Villanova beat Georgetown, and you talked about it on your podcast. Unlike you, my dad did in fact make me go to bed before that game was over. But when I woke up, uh, when I woke up in the morning, he had toilet paper hanging outside my room with V's on it from the ceiling. So I know who won, and I watched the game with him the the next day. You, your memory was another great old school Big East game, right? Yeah, it was the uh, it was UConn and Georgetown uh, from the Garden in 1996 in the Big East title game. Ray Allen against Allen Iverson. It was. Uh, I guess UConn was down by 11 with like three minutes left and they ended up making that comeback win. And Ray Allen hit that game winning shot where, you know, he landed before uh, he actually got the shot off. But but I don't think anyone's going to argue that at this point. And then, you know, I think Georgetown missed like three shots to the other end and UConn ended up winning. It was like their first title and the first time that Jim Calhoun had really kind of put his stamp on that program. And it was uh, it was quite the memory. But uh, how about this, man? So your your favorite memory was that Villanova-Georgetown game? Yeah. I was literally born during that game no way oh that's yeah incredible. i was born during that game and my mom uh, always tells this story where uh my dad kept like running in and out of the delivery room trying to check on the scores and everything <laughs> so i guess i guess i was kind of destined for this job maybe oh absolutely uh, gary mclean uh, ed pinkney harold jensen i mean that that's that's it you were born for you were destined for greatness from that are you kidding me yeah, yeah i was meant for this man 
Well, Rob, uh, the season's upon us, right? Tips off on Friday for a lot of teams around the country. You, Travis Hines, Raphael Johnson, and Scott Phillips compiled the top 25 ranking for NBC Sports, and your consensus was Michigan State is the number one team in the country. I'm completely with you. I think Miles Bridges can have like a Caleb Swanigan-esque impact on sports with maybe a better ending. They have Winston, Langford, Nick Ward, who can take more chances now because there's a little more depth on the roster. Jaron Jackson and, of course, Hall of Fame coach Tom Izzo. I'm going to take the experience, Rob, over the unproven freshman every time, even the freshmen have a big impact. Talk about why your crew sees the Spartans as deserving of that number one overall ranking. Well, I mean, it's pretty easy when you can just kind of go through and say, okay, who has the best tournament coach in college basketball? Right? Michigan State has those guys. Who's got the best player in college basketball? Right? Michigan State's got that guy. Uh, who is, has one of the best recruiting classes in college basketball? Okay, Michigan State's got that. They also got the last year, one of last year's best recruiting classes, plus all those kids are returning. So you put all that stuff together, and it just kind of makes sense. I, I love the way that the roster fits together. Uh, I love the way that Tom Izzo coaches those guys. I think this is a team that's kind of built in that old-school uh, Michigan State fashion where they're going to have big guys are going to attack the glass are going to defend so I, I'm, I'm just very high on the team that said I don't really think it would be wrong to pick a Duke or to pick an Arizona to make them be the preseason number one or even someone like a Villanova or Wichita State I think you can make legitimate arguments uh, for each one of those teams being in the number one spot so I think what makes this year so fascinating to me is that there's just so much unknown and it's not just because of like you mentioned the FBI investigation and what could come from all of that. But the simple fact that there really isn't that we normally have a divide, right? Where we can think of, you know, maybe like a top four and then you see everyone else, like a top six and everyone else. I don't really think there is that divide this year. I think that when you look at someone like maybe like Kentucky, who we have at eight or Seton Hall, who we have at 16 or, or Miami, who we have at number 11, I think you look at all those teams and they all have final four upside and, and probably the ability to, to maybe put together a run to get to the national title game. So I, I think this is going to be a fun year and one where we don't really know as much heading in as I think we thought we did in the last couple of seasons. You know, it reminds me a couple of years ago, we had that great Kentucky team, right? And the question was, are they going to go undefeated and, and, and run all the way through the season? Then they ended up with a, with a classic game against Wisconsin. But I agree with you because teams, you have Gonzaga, who was in the finals last year. You have a great St. Mary's team we'll get into in a little bit. You know, Wichita State's obviously ranked in the top 10. So I agree. I think the the sort of smaller schools around the country are really strong this year. And the big guys are there, but they're going to be challenged. Yeah, and I think that there are a lot of schools that we're not typically used to seeing be good at basketball that are actually good at basketball this year. Like I mentioned, Seton Hall, who I'm kind of all in on this year. And uh, Miami, who I've kind of sold my soul to uh to to support i you know i have them winning the uh the acc this season i just wow i think that everything's going to come together and i am not buying this idea of trayvon duvall being a point guard but uh you know i guess we'll see that could end up blowing up in my face uh i've had a lot of bad predictions of late so maybe i can finally i'm I'm trying to turn this franchise around that you know that's the perfect trend transition you guys have duke as the consensus number two I'm kind of with you on that. I mean, they got Marvin Bagley III, Wendell Carter, Duval, you talked about, Gary Trent Jr., I remember his father, and Grayson Allen. But I'm not so sure, Rob, we can automatically just peg this team as a Final Four team. They they only returned 19.4% of their points from last year. And I don't think their history is quite as consistent as, let's say, Kentucky. 
You know, the Kyrie Irving team had Nolan Smith and Kyle Singler. They were seniors. Jabari Parker was on that team. He had a great freshman year, lost in the first round to Mercer. The championship team, yes, had Okafer and Winslow, but Quinn Cook was a, a major, major part of that team. And Tyus Jones really came on strong at the end of the year for the tournament. So their leader is Grayson Allen. Uh, certainly there's some questions about that. You know, he looks like he's taken a step forward and we're rooting for him, right? But I'm with you with Duval as the point guard. Uh, talk about Duke a little bit. And I, I put them a notch below team. Seems like a Michigan State and an Arizona, which I think Allen's in a little more proven leadership. I think when you're talking about like the starting five, like the best five that you could put on the floor for any team in the country, I think that Duke has the most talent when it comes to that five, right? Trayvon Duvall was the top point guard in this class, a number, a top five recruit and a potential first round pick. Grayson Allen is a guy that was a second team All-American as a sophomore when he averaged 21.6 points. 4.6 4.6 boards, 3.5 assists, and shot 41% from three. Like, I don't think people remember just how good he was when he was a sophomore. He was the preseason player of the year as a junior before injuries and uh, what's the politically correct way to say this? Uh, Off-the-court issues, maybe, because but they weren't necessarily off the court. Before, he, he started tripping everybody that he could see, right? Yeah, so, a, a, a te- uh, refocus the attention. Needs to refocus the attention a little bit, re- right. Refocus the attention on hoops. I guess that's how we're going to phrase it. Um, so he, before he got injured and before he got banged up, before he had to deal with all that stuff outside of basketball, uh, he was as good as anybody in college basketball. So he's going to be playing it too. You have Gary Trent, who is probably – one of the two or three best wing players in the class of 2017. I think you can make an argument that he is top 20 at that position in the sport. And he's like the worst starter that they have because then you throw in Marvin Bagley, who could end up being the best player in college basketball period. And the number one overall pick in 2018 and Wendell Carter, who just so happened to outplay Bagley in the uh, exhibitions that Duke's had so far this year. You, know, you, you put that together and that's pretty good. And I think when you look at that, in terms of just on paper, in terms of the talent they have, it's really hard to argue against that. That said, how those pieces fit together is a big question mark for me. I'm Like I said, I'm not convinced that Trayvon Duvall is a point guard that they need. To me, this is a comparison that I've made a lot, and I don't want people to think of it in terms of who these players are, just kind of how they play. He's not as much Tyus Jones as he is Derrick Rose. Like He's right. not a guy that's going to facilitate. He's not a guy that's going to be out there trying to make everybody else better. He's not really a shooter. He's a guy that can get to the rim. He's athletic. He'll dunk on you. He can once he gets downhill and he kind of turns that corner and gets his shoulders by you, like you're not going to be able to stop him. He has those long arms, those long strides. But he's he's kind of like a an attacker and a scorer first. And I mean that works. That's not a bad thing. Like look at what Russell 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 Westbrook. That was really hard to say. Russell Westbrook. <laughs> That's how he plays. He plays so That's fast. Like, it's hard to say his name, right? Yeah, exactly. And like Derrick Rose was like that when he was at his prime, like he was MVP level. So players like that succeed, but those guys aren't the fifth best player on the starting lineup of their teams. You know, they're the best players. So I don't know how that dynamic is actually going to work with Duke. I also am not, I'm just not convinced that they're going to have enough depth. You know, I I don't, I have to see Marquise Bolden be the guy that we thought he was going to be. I I do think that there's a lot of potential there, but he was just, I mean, if you watch him play, man, you know anything about basketball and positioning and where you're supposed to be defensively, like then you probably know more than Marquise Bolden does because he was a train wreck on the defensive end of the floor last year. Uh, I got to see it from Javin Delorier. I think he's a guy that has, you know, a little bit of uh, Emile Jefferson potential in terms of like how he plays and what he can do. But again, we need to see it. And I'm not convinced that Alex O'Connell or or Jordan Goldwire or, uh, 
or Jordan Tucker are going to be guys that can really step in and, and provide that like immediate contribution as freshmen that we're going to need. So uh, depth and how the pieces all fit together are major issues for Duke. And I think what we've seen in the last two years, man, is when Duke has questions at the point guard spot, it's, uh, it's not a good thing. Totally agree. And they're going to be in games and they're going to win a lot of games, of course, and they're going to be on the radar. But I think you got to peel the onion back, like you said. And if we're sitting here comparing them to the upper echelon teams, I think there's some question marks that, that we have to sort of see first. I, I agree. And I want to compare them now to another team. Rob, has there ever been, and maybe you're hearing more than me, but I'm just taking you from the East Coast here. Has there ever been less hype for a Kentucky team entering a season? I mean, they have 38 stars, which has been my line, of recruiting coming into the season. If you include Amadou Diallo, you know, Michigan State, Duke, all the stuff going on. I feel like somehow, if it's possible, they're under the radar. I mean, Cal's got two Elite Eights, two Final Fours, runner-up NCAA title, and then the 2012 championship. Is the country kind of sleeping on the Wildcats? No, I don't think they really are. I think people kind of just have accepted the fact that this team is going to take their lumps early. Like, their ceiling is as high as anyone. When, Like you mentioned, they have as much talent as anybody does. But between the fact that, like, their only returning rotational player averaged something like, I think it was 14 minutes last season and 4.6 points, that's the least amount of returning scoring that Coach Cal has ever had on a team. This is going to be the youngest team he's ever had. And he doesn't have any game-changing prospects. Like, Kevin Knox is really good, but he's more of a guy that, in my mind, you want playing that small ball four role, right? But I don't see him playing that role. Like, he needs to be a role player at least early on. And asking Kevin Knotts to immediately be the best player offensively for Kentucky is a little bit of a concern to me. So I think that at the end of the year, if I had to make a prediction on what's going to happen with this Kentucky team, I think they're going to get beat up a little bit early on in the season. I think that they're going to take some losses at the start of SEC play. And I think that people are going to get concerned. And then Cal's going to figure it out. He's going to find the right way to put these pieces together. They're going to win like their last eight games in the SEC, go on to win the SEC tournament, and they're going to be that trendy pick to make it to the Final Four. I think they have to be elite defensively. I think they're going to win games like 60 to 55 all season long. It's not necessarily going to be the prettiest basketball, but by the end of the year when they figure it out, they're going to have enough to actually win those kind of games. And uh, they're to me, they're they're – they're going to be so much better in March than they're going to be in November. So it's really hard for me to know what to do with them when we're ranking them early on. Like, I think we have them too high at number eight right now. But I think that at the end of the year, it wouldn't be crazy to think they could end up being in like that top three or four. Totally agree. I think that's a, that's a spot on prediction there. One team I think that is a little bit overrated, at least you know nationally, they won the national title last year, is North Carolina. Joel Berry's fantastic. He's going to be out for a bit with the broken hand. Luke May is really going to have to step up and take a, a much bigger scoring role with no Tony Bradley there. Theo Pinson's a great all-around college player, but he's not a big scorer. The question is, what's the impact of Cam Johnson? I mean, they have a huge void, Rob. No Justin Jackson, Kenny Meeks, Isaiah Hicks, Nate Britt. Uh, is North Carolina ranked a little too high? I mean, I love your Miami call there in the ACC. I don't know if North Carolina is necessarily with Notre Dame a definite top three ACC team. I don't think so. You know, because here's my thing with North Carolina is that the way that Roy Williams plays, he always wants those two bigs. Like he is the one coach that has never wavered from the idea of playing two big bodies together. And I talked about him, talked to him about him uh, with him over the summer. And basically what his philosophy is, is that the way that you win basketball games is by the, the rebounding battle. He wants to get more offensive rebounds and he wants to get more defensive rebounds. And if you end more possessions quickly and you gain more possessions offensively by getting the ball back. 
then that's how you win basketball games. So he's never going to change that. But he doesn't have the bodies this year to do it. Like his biggest, the, the, the biggest, most experienced guy he's got coming back is Luke May, who's like a stretch four of the, the highest variety, right? He's got three freshmen coming in that all have a chance to kind of be good down the road. But we're talking about guys that are like top 50, top 75, top 100 recruits. They're not kids that are going to come in right away and have the kind of impact that, say, Tony Bradley did last year or that Marvin Bagley will or that Wendell Carter will. So I want to know how he's going to end up playing before I make any long-term predictions on what North Carolina is going to be this year. That said, I think that this Joel Berry injury is the best thing that could have happened to North Carolina because instead of having to rely on him early in the season – to carry them against teams that they probably should beat early on. I, they're going to have to throw Seventh Woods into the fire. They're going to have point. to throw Felton yep. into the fire. They're going to have to throw these freshman bigs into the fire. Like Those kids got to figure it out. And not only are they going to have to figure it out in games, over the course of the last, what has it been now, like two weeks, every day in practice, you know, those are the guys that are running everything in practice. It's not Joel Berry. He's sitting on the sideline trying to get that hand healthy. So uh, I think that this is probably, in the long term, Seeing as it's just like a broken hand, it's not going to end a season or anything like this. It might have been the best thing that could have happened in North Carolina this year. That's a good point because they're going to need some players to develop. And what better way to develop them? Just throw them right in the deep end and see what they can do. I mean, it, you can't develop if you don't play, and now these kids are going to play. Yeah, great, really great point. If we look at two teams that have the spotlight on them this year, the two brightest for me, Arizona and Louisville. First, let's look at Arizona. I, I hate this albatross that goes around coaches next, the best coach, never to make a Final Four. Dana Altman got rid of that last year with Oregon. Now people are talking about it with Sean Miller. Sean Miller is a phenomenal coach, sustained success, everything we want from coach he has. Uh, but certainly that FBI investigation we talked about is looming. And the other one, of course, is Louisville. Ton of talent, top 15 talent, but now Patino gone, David Padgett in. They really don't have a top flight player. They were more of a whole is greater than the sum of the parts to me this year. But what do you have now? Brian Bowen, of course, is 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 eligible, I believe, to play. But I don't know if he's going to be playing there. So how do you see Arizona and Louisville reacting to sort of a spotlight in, in different ways on both those programs? Well, Brian Bowen's not eligible to play right now. He is – He he's no longer – under investigation, under investigation by, right. uh, which right. means that now he can like appeal to being right. Right. Uh, on the uh, like uh, to playing again. So it's 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 a little bit of a complicated situation, but I'm not convinced um, that he's ever going to end up playing for Louisville. I, I just I don't see it happening. Right. So, yep. um, but as far as what Louisville is going to be, I think they're going to be fine. Man. Like, I, I, I think they have enough veterans on that team that they can probably kind of run themselves. I think that David Padgett understands that i think that he has hired people around him where he won't be totally in over his head you know i don't think they have the same ceiling as they did if rick patino's with this team i would be talking about them as a potential acc title team a final four team kind of deal but i'm not i don't think that they are that team uh right now with david Padgett at the helm but i still think that they're top 15 top 20 team they're going to finish top five in the acc and you know if they put it all together uh, they have the talent to make a run man and what about Arizona? Sort of flip it around there. So now we're talking about the Wildcats. A lot of people were mentioning them maybe as, a, as the number one team overall. Sean Miller's got a strong team. Trier is back. You know, I still like that game, gosh, against Xavier Rob still sticks in my craw. They had the lead there. They're up big. Uh, marketing, they just they take the ball away from him. It's Trier down the stretch there. Uh, what about Arizona coming into the season? What do you think? You know, on paper, all the pieces are there. 
right? They have the kind of the, the superstar in Alonzo Trier. They have uh, the young talent coming in in DeAndre Ayton and Brandon Randolph. They have veterans like Dusan Ristich and, and Parker Jackson Cartwright. So on paper, it's all there and it all makes sense. Uh, the problem is, I don't. We don't really know what's going to happen with this investigation. At some point, someone's going to get held out. We know, reading the FBI complaints, that someone on that team uh, has accepted illegal benefits, or someone on the like a member of his family has accepted illegal benefits. Right? We know that assistant an assistant coach has already been fired, and we know that they have already lost a recruit because it appears that fifteen thousand dollars was funneled to that recruit's family from a runner for an agent through the assistant coach. So what's going to happen? Like, who's going to be playing for them this year? Is Sean Miller going to make it through the entire season? So, yes, Arizona's ceiling is as is, is high as anyone. And, like, I don't think it's crazy to say they're the best team in college basketball, but we just have to see who is actually going to be there for the whole year. Let's do some quick hitters now, Rob. Sort of under-the-radar storylines that maybe, you know, are, are people understand, but they don't understand the gravity of, of what's going on there and how good or, or how big this story is. First one, of course, Alabama. ton of expectations coming into the season. They're not just a football school anymore. Avery Johnson, third year at Alabama. I read something, Rob. They had 3,000 people at their scrimmage in August. Fans were excited about Colin Sexton. But then now, Colin Sexton, obviously, whether he's going to be playing or not is sort of up in the air. Braxton Key is scheduled for meniscus surgery. What's your outlook on Alabama? What are you hearing about Sexton and, and if he's going to be eligible to play? I don't really know what's going to happen with Sexton. I don't think anybody can really predict what's going to happen with Sexton. Uh, they, the way that it works is that when you get these kind of eligibility issues popping up, uh, you get ruled, so you get cleared, you go through clearinghouse for the NCAA, and they, they clear you to play, and then these eligibility things pop up, and amateurism issues pop up, and then you got to basically self-report, and the NCAA says that you are no longer eligible, and you have to apply for reinstatement. So we have to find out what's going to happen as we wait for these guys to apply for reinstatement. And without Colin Sexton, like here's my thing with Alabama, right? They were a top-10 team defensively last year. They ranked 158th in offensive efficiency in college basketball last season. The reason that everyone is so on the Alabama train this year is that they brought in the best offensive score in college, in, in the freshman class in, in Colin Sexton, right? Without him playing, then we're looking at a situation where this is going to, again, be a team that's very, very good defensively that just is not going to have that offensive firepower. Like, they are going to end up being a – what South Carolina was last season, more or less, I think. So that's the difference between um, what Colin Sexton provides. Like without him, then I think we're looking at a situation where, you know, their best case scenario is getting into the tournament somewhere in that eight, nine, ten seed range. Whereas with Colin Sexton, I think that there's a legitimate chance they could end up being a top four seed. Rob, your NBC mid-major rankings has St. Mary's at number one. Uh, this really frustrates me, Rob, because I picked them to go to the Final Four last season. I was fired up for each one of those Gonzaga-St. Mary's games. My partner's a Gonzaga guy. I'm a St. Mary's guy, and I was just disappointed. I felt like every single game, Landell was in, in foul trouble, and the game just never really was able to get going there. Talk to us about St. Mary's this season. Uh, is this going to be the year that they overtake Gonzaga? Uh, I think so. On paper, yes. I, I, I mean, we basically know what St. Mary's is at this point, right? Like they're they're probably never going to be like a top fifteen team in the country, but they're they're going to run great offense. 
you're going to have a hard time stopping them from scoring. They're always going to have some big guy, whether it's Jock Landale or Brad Waldo or uh, Omar Sanhan. You remember that guy? They're always going to have some yeah, Sanhan. That is like that's over efficient. That is going to get you buckets. It's going to be able to score in a post. They're always going to make threes. And Randy Bennett is just always going to have their running offense. They're never going to be all that athletic. They're never going to be great defensively. But on the nights when they're shooting well from three, you know they can go twenty for twenty for thirty from three on a given night. And so they're they're going to have the ceiling to beat anyone. Uh, so we kind of know what they are. With Gonzaga, we don't really know what they are. You know what is Riachi Moore going to turn into? He is a guy that had legitimately has lottery pick upside right what is Killian Tilly going to turn into you know he's a guy that is athletic enough that he could end up being a first round pick how well is Jonathan Williams going to play as the focal point of an offense is Josh Perkins actually a point guard who on this team are you actually scared of if you're an opposing coach so that is the uh the big question mark for me um I do if I if I was a betting man I don't know if I would uh, let me put it let me phrase it like this I think that St. Mary's can win the WCC this season I don't think that St. Mary's is ever going to be a point at a point where they are a better program than Gonzaga is. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense, man. You brought me back. My my friends had to block me because I was yelling, "You got to feed the big man. He's got to eat." When Sam Han was ripping through the NCAA tournament, so that's a great memory. I agree with you. I I think St. Mary's this could be their time. I feel maybe I was a year too early on them. Gonzaga lost a lot. They're still going to be solid, but yes, I agree. This could be, you know, their time to overtake Gonzaga, maybe do a clean sweep of it, not only regular season, but also the tournament, right? Yeah, and I, I think that this is the year that, that could actually happen. All right, now I need you to play judge here and settle some debates between my partner and I. The first one we've been going back and forth about is Purdue versus Michigan. Both teams are real solid, but I like Michigan a little bit better. I think they're going to finish higher than Purdue. I like. I think their their group coming back is underrated. Mo Wagner, Robinson, Abdul Rahman. They got the Ohio transfer Simmons in, and John Beeline, of course, does a great job. Uh, my partner talks about that even though Swanigan's going to be gone, that's a real underrated cast that people didn't realize last year. Carson Edwards had a phenomenal summer. Who do you like better, Purdue or Michigan in the Big Ten? Your partner's right on this one, I think. I just think that losing T.J. Wilson is going to hurt them defensively. You know, John Beeline's teams are always going to be top 15 in offensive efficiency in that 100 range of defensive efficiency. And like your partner said, I think Carson Edwards, I think there is an, a, a greater than zero chance that he could end up becoming an All-American this season. I'm all in on Carson Edwards, wow. and I'm all in on Vince Edwards. If your last name is Edwards and you play for Purdue, I think you're going to be awesome. Fair enough. Second one is Florida. Uh, my partner sees them as sort of a fringe top 25 team, thinks they lost a lot last year. Kevon Allen is back, though. Chioza takes over the point guard. I know there's some questions there with him as point guard, and, and Ibunu is recovering from the ACL. I think Mike White can get this team closer to the you know top 10 area. He likes him at the back end of the top 25. Where do you see Florida? Uh, I, I put them in the middle of what you guys are, are predicting. I think that they probably should be in that like 18, 19, 20 range. I think that everybody is undervaluing what they lose defensively with Devin Robinson and Justin Leon gone. All right. And, and the last one is Villanova versus the Big East field. I, I think Villanova. 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 You like yeah. so even though no even though you like Seton Hall, even though you like Seton Hall. I, I love Seton Hall. I really really like Xavier. I think Providence is very underrated. But until Villanova doesn't win the Big East, then we're betting on them. It's like with Kansas. If you're going to give me Kansas through the field, give me Kansas. If you're going to give me Villanova or the field, give me Villanova. 
Uh, fair enough. We, you did your All-American teams recently on your podcast. Talk about maybe a, a sleeper or two, somebody who you think can sort of sneak on there and make an All-American team. You talked about one there, maybe Carson Edwards. Anybody else you see that could sort of sort of sneak in there in the All-American team end of season? I mean, it's, it's, it's Carson Edwards. I just think that he is terrific. All right, and surprise teams for the tournament. My co-host loves Nevada, Florida Gulf Coast. You got an under-the-radar team that you think could really uh, hit that Final Four and, and, and you know, that uh, sort of bracket that always ends up uh, self-destructing there, sort of the under-the-radar sleeper team that can make the Final Four? Well, how about this? How about I give you my uh, favorite under-the-radar mid-major, mid-major team, and that is Montana State. You got to see nice. this kid Tyler Hall play. He averaged 23 points a game last year, and he puts up – if you look at some of the advanced statistics, I don't actually have them right in front of me, but the numbers that he puts up are eerily similar to what uh, Stephen Curry put up when he was a sophomore. Sounds good. And last one, Rob, then we'll get you out of here. Really appreciate a few minutes. So listen, you say you're not good at the predictions, but listen, you, you, nobody knows more about college basketball than you do. Give me your final four. You, you've mentioned it on some of your podcasts, but can you put together a final four right now? Uh, if, if it was going to start, who do you think is going uh, to make it there? Well, the one the one that I filed for NBC was Duke, Michigan State, Wichita State, and USC. But this was before uh, the stuff with USC really got set ablaze. But I still think USC has that ceiling, so I'm going to stick with them. Uh, fair enough, folks. Rob Doster from NBC Sports, NBC Sports College Basketball, the guy over there at coverage. He he's got a great podcast. College Basketball Talk, follow it on iTunes, all over the place, Stitcher, and you can go to his work on collegebasketballtalk.nbcsports.com and follow him on Twitter at Rob Doster. Rob, we are honored to have you on here. We can't wait for Friday to get going. Thanks so much for a few minutes. Not a problem, guys. Thanks for having me. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.